All right, well, good morning and welcome. We're continuing on in our um, series, Doctrine for Life. And so the title of that, I think, tells you some of what our goal is, that we'd be looking at doctrines and then seeing how they shape our lives, um, how important doctrine is for the way that we live. And as I mentioned last week, we're going through Paul Tripp's book, Do You Believe? Um, Twelve Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. And so we're going to take the first three of those um, in over the next several weeks, and then we'll pop out for another Discipleship Hour class and then pop back in. And so just kind of working doctrine into our steady diet of the things that we're trying to absorb and think about and be changed by as Christians. Um, and so this book, I, we're using it as a foundation, but you can tell it's pretty thick. And um, even if I were just to read the chapters today, it would probably take our whole class. And so um, it's a great supplement, and it's very devotionally written. Uh, it's not like a systematic theology textbook. And so if you like what's going on here or have more questions or want to soak in it, picking this up could be really helpful um, for you. So just wanted to throw that out there, uh, but I get no um, commission for you buying the book or anything. But it, uh, it looks pretty on your shelf too. And yeah, I won't talk about the artwork. So, um, All right, well, why don't I pray and then we'll dive in because we get to look at the doctrine of Scripture this morning, which I, I think will be really encouraging to us. So let's pray for the Lord's help. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us this morning as we gather to think about your word and think about you, your glory, the wonder of how you've revealed yourself to us. It's amazing that you would even desire our affection or love or want to reveal yourself to creatures like us. And so we pray that that would humble us, that it would encourage us, that we'd be amazed at the wealth of riches that your word is for us and that that would change our lives, that it would be something we long for and seek after as we seek to know you more as our God. So we pray that your spirit would help us, and we pray this all through Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, last week we just kind of talked about doctrine in general. Um, So we were talking about it overall and some of the dangerous dichotomy. Um, Anyone remember what the dangerous dichotomy is? Just to kind of warm up our minds. It's the gap between what we say we believe and how we live, right? And that's something that is part of just creaturely growth in Christ-likeness. There's always going to be more that we know about God, about the scriptures, and a lag typically with our Christian life until glory. But the problem can be when we think that that's the norm, um, when we continue to pursue doctrine, 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 and kind of leave life out of it, that can create some major problems in the Christian life. And so we want to come to our study of doctrine humbly understanding that danger and humbly come to it saying, I want to know more about God, who he is, how he works, how he's revealed himself, but I want it for the purpose of knowing him better and being transformed in my relationship with him. And so if we come to it that way, Uh, that's a helpful posture. So it's just good to be aware of that danger. So today, we're going to look at the doctrine of Scripture. Um, Every single doctrine we cover in this class, um, you know, books have been written about this topic. And so do we need more handouts back there, Mark? Are there more? We have some up front if anyone needs them, just so you know. So um, if anyone is missing one of these beautifully artistically designed handouts, by some people in our church who will remain nameless. Um, It's really cool. So, doctrine of Scripture. Any of these doctrines, um, books have been written about this topic. And so our goal isn't to dive in and answer all of those questions, although I'll open it up for questions and maybe we can continue to grow in our understanding. But, But part of the goal of what we're looking at is just, what do we need to know as Christians about each of these topics to continue our walk in the Christian life? And so, as we look at the doctrine of Scripture, we'll see several things. And we'll begin just with, you'll see it on your handout there, general revelation and special revelation. And then if you flip to the inside, just so you can see where we're going, um, on page two are kind of the big handles about things we need to know about the Scriptures. 
We'll move through those relatively quickly. And then pages three and four talk about scripture in everyday life. And so it's shifting into um, why this is so important and how it changes us. So my goal is half the class is just an overview of the doctrine of scripture, and the other half is why does this matter uh, in some really helpful ways. Um, So general revelation, you'll see there on your sheet, Um, you can think of, and you could even jot this down, but passages like Romans 1, Psalm 19, 1, other texts in Scripture, they tell us that God's creation reveals to us truths about who he is. And I want to read Romans 1, 18 to 20. You're welcome to turn to any of these, or you could just jot down the reference and just listen. It's whatever's helpful to you. But Romans 1, 18 to 20, notice what it says about God's revelation. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." Do you hear that? God has put things about himself on display in the created order that is freely there for all to see and all to discern and leaves all without excuse in some way. Um, And so general revelation is God's testimony that's out there in the created world to his character and his works that are given to all human beings indiscriminately. But... um, Part of the reason I wanted to hit general revelation is I think it can be easy in the Christian life where we have the Bible to lose sight of the wonderful resource that general revelation is for us spiritually in pointing us to God constantly. And um, Paul Tripp just captures this beautifully. It's a paragraph, and I'm going to read it. I'll try and read it as engagingly as I can. But But just listen to this. I couldn't summarize it as well as what he says. He says, Everything God made is designed to confront us with God's existence and nature, and in so doing, confront our delusions of autonomy and self-sufficiency. Every morning when we get up, we bump into God and come face to face with his existence. He is revealed in the wind, in the rain, in the birds, in the flower, in the rock, in the tree in the sun and the moon, in the grass and the clouds, in sights, smells, touches, and tastes. Everything that exists is a finger that points to God's existence and glory. The cycle of the seasons point to his wisdom and faithfulness. The fact that we all see creation's beauty and are warmed by its sun and drenched by its rain points us to his love and mercy. The thunderous storms with crashes of lightning and violent winds point to the immensity of his power. The created world is a surround sound, technicolor display of the existence and attributes of the one who created it all. The message of the created, natural, physical world is so all-encompassing and clear to everyone that you have to fight to suppress, deny, and resist its message. And then hear this. How good God is to build in creation reminders of himself so that we, image bearers created for relationship with him, would be reminded of him again and again simply by looking at the world he created, which surrounds us everywhere we look. Isn't that beautiful? How it just says, and I think these are things that we know, but just to be reminded how kind God is that everywhere we look, it can be fingers pointing us to him. Um, And one thing that I just wanted to say on a practical note is you may notice in our um, worship service that often some of our introductory kind of call to worship invocation songs are ones that speak of general revelation. And you may have noticed like with How Great Thou Art, or even today if you have a bulletin already, you look at all creatures of our God and King, and what is it doing? It's pointing us to the created order 
Um, Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, thou rushing wind that art so strong, thou flowing water pure and clear. These hymns are calling us to look to general revelation, which is attesting to the glory and praise of God, and to join with them. And so that's part of why we sing those songs. So if you ever just think... um, do we just like to sing naturey things or something? Or nature isn't really my thing. Um, it's in accord with what we see general revelation is calling us to do. So that's general revelation. Um, and then general revelation by itself, though, isn't sufficient to help us understand God's ways of salvation. Uh, there is a lot that creation does not tell us about God or about how he works, and therefore we need special revelation which really just simply means that God has revealed himself to us in his word. It's his special revelation given to us. And it was necessary and essential for our salvation for God to reveal himself in his word. Um, We don't come to understand the intricacies of Christ and how he has come for us, what our faith has to be in, to come to a saving knowledge of God apart from his word. And so special revelation is the teaching about God and his works that he has given us through the prophets and apostles, which is now contained exclusively in the Bible. So general revelation, special revelation. Uh, Created order, the Bible. Simple handles for that, and they both play various roles working together. So we'll continue to move through these things. And then just so you know, I'm going to open it up for questions at the end of page two. So I just want us to all have these handles of what's important for us to know. And then if you have questions about those things, jot them down and I will tell you I can't answer them and then we'll move on. So it's great. Some of you are awake. It's great. All right. So if someone were to say to you, what do you, what's important to know about the Bible? Um, Do things come to mind about it? It's long. There's different types of books. Like We could all come up with some things, right? These things listed here are really just kind of handles from Scripture that are some of the high points of what we should know about God's Word and the importance of it. And they really come, I mean, there are two really key passages for bibliology, for the study of Scripture, and they are 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and 2 Peter 1. Um, verses 19 to 21. And so I just want to read those, and then we will just see these kind of doctrines primarily derived from these passages. The great thing to remember about bibliology is it's both the seconds, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, um, chapter 3, chapter 1. But 2 Timothy 3, we read this last week, but all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's your 2 Timothy um, 3, 16 and 17. And then hear these words from 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those two passages really shape what we need to know about Scripture. And the first thing that we see there is the inspiration of Scripture. The inspiration of Scripture and what that means is really what it's saying in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture finds its source and origin in him. Um, all of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, was written under, the direct, um, written under and directed by the inspiration of God. Now, we could talk forever about this, but I think it's important to note that when we think about inspiration, um, a default that I have in my mind is something that's the very word of God means it dropped as a book out of the sky and he penned all those things by his own own hand. Kind of like we see with the Ten Commandments in a way. I know it didn't drop out of the sky, but um, we may think of it that way. And anything that uh, 
is different from that means it's less the word of God. It's really important to understand that what inspiration is getting at is the word of God being breathed out by God is a very human and divine process. And we can even think in realms of what we think about with the incarnation of Christ. It's not saying that the Bible is the incarnation of Christ, a, a person of the Godhead taking on human flesh. But in, in as far as Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, we look at our scriptures as both fully human and fully divine. Meaning that God wasn't overriding humans so they just became dictation machines as they wrote the scriptures. But instead, in his breathing out process, uh, he is superintending the entirety of the process using fully human agents to write down the things of God in a way that human people can understand. And yet it is completely overseen by his God-breathing process. Um, And so the scriptures, insofar as we have them, are the very words of God. Um, and so that, that helps us understand both the humanness of scripture and also the divineness of scripture, that it is truly God's word. Um, so inspiration is that process of God breathing out his very word for us. Secondly, then, if it is God's word, what does that mean? <laughs> it means it has authority. It's God's word, and so um, human beings, therefore, must obey all aspects of it in every area of their lives. It is our ultimate authority, just as God himself is the ultimate authority, and especially of the created order and of human beings. And so what do we know about the Bible? It's God-breathed. It came from God himself. And since it's God's word, it has the ultimate authority in our lives, And we need to work to conform to that. Third is the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. And let me just read a a summary of that. And just so you know, um, I'm just summarizing things that are expounded even further in our um, confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, chapter 1. Um, and this will be particularly from paragraph six, goes into all these things. And um, a shameless plug for the GBC discipleship program, you walk through the confession and examine some of these um, doctrines in a really good way with someone else. And so that can be a great way to do a deep dive into some of these things. But it's also very applicational and relational as well. But sufficiency means this, all things necessary for God's own glory and our salvation, faith, and life have either either clearly been set down by God in Scripture or can properly be deduced from Scripture, so nothing needs to be or ever should be added by new revelations or any new human insights or traditions. So the big deal to know about sufficiency of Scripture is that everything that we need to know for salvation and for living a godly life is found ultimately in the scriptures so that we don't need any new revelation to understand those things. Now, sola scriptura, which is the Reformation cry of scripture um, alone, is speaking of the nature of coming to saving faith. It is not sola scriptura, in that the only thing we need for life is the Bible by itself. The Bible expects us to come to it with an understanding that we have gained from general revelation already. Um, And the Bible calls us back to examine those things. Look at the ant. Look at these things that we see in God's created order. And as image bearers come to better understand creation and how he works, all that is coming to the table as we come to this all-sufficient document for what we need to know for life and godliness. Um, so it's not excluding that, but it's saying that it is the it becomes then the lens by which we view, it's the ultimate lens by which we view all the revelation and truth um, that is in the created order and accessible to us as believers. And so scripture is the book that sits on top of all the other books And it's the lenses by which we put on and examine the other truths that are coming to us um, 
but it doesn't say, if you just have this, you will know how to be a plumber um, or an electrician or a mechanical engineer, right? Now, it will ultimately tell us how God's understanding shapes our plumbing and engineering and all those kinds of things, especially as we seek to be um, more in accord with Christ-likeness as we do those things. So sufficiency of Scripture. We don't need other revelation to understand anything about our relationship with God. And then the truthfulness of Scripture. Um, This could also be said the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, if you're looking through different um, theological books. But I think truthfulness captures it really well as far as what we're trying to get at there. Um, Since God's Word comes from God, and God is completely true, then his word is true and we can trust it. That's really the bottom line of that. I know we can get into all kinds of questions about all kinds of like, what about errors in translation and you know things like that. And those are all worth exploring. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it is God's word. It's from the true and living God. And therefore it is true. John 17, 17 Sanctify them, speaking of the disciples and believers who would follow, in the truth, your word is truth. And that's said elsewhere in scripture as well. Um, It's not coming from men's own interpretation, 2 Peter 1 is telling us, but as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, therefore ensuring that what we have is true and accurate as God wants us to know it. Um, So we can believe it. And then... Oh, and one other thing just to say about truthfulness, I think, is when we get into questions a lot of times of errors in the Bible or um, things of that sort, which you could ask more in the question section, I think it's helpful for us to understand that there will always be an element of faith in trusting the Bible. That it is a circular argument, right? How do you know God's word is true? Well, it's from God and he says it's true. Well, that's circular reasoning, right? Yeah, of course, that's fine. Because there's nothing that is going to empirically, without a doubt, convince me that this is God's word. There will be an element of faith. But it is not blind faith to trust in the truth of God's word. There is all kinds of evidence of why Um, This is God's word, and we can believe it, and that it is true and accurate. And um, again, entire books are written on things of that sort. Um, But if when we're talking to unbelievers, at the end of the day, um, they're trying to get to a point where it would take no faith, um, then we're probably looking to answer something that the Bible doesn't actually in and of itself give us, that that absolute certainty, just like with other issues of... um, salvation as well. And then uh, the last one here, the illumination of scripture. This one to me is just so delightful and encouraging. Um, Not only do we have the gift of God's word that comes to us in the scriptures, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who illumines the word for us, who helps us understand it. That's an amazing thing. Um, He guides us, he teaches us, he illumines our hearts so we can understand, and not just understand, but actually be changed by the Bible itself. And so we need not only the content of God's word, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us understand, apply it, and the very power to be conformed unto it. All that's coming um, by the Spirit. Paul Tripp talks about how... um, you know, he's written a lot of books, right? And But when he writes a book, someone buys the book, and what do they get to do? Read the book, hear what he has to say. Paul Tripp doesn't come with the book, <laughs> right? That would be a difficult business model to sustain. Um, <laughs> I sold five copies and uh, <laughs> this year. But Um, So he doesn't travel to each person who has one of his books and sit down with them and explain what he wrote. But that is what God does for us in his word. Isn't it? I lose sight of this. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. Um, Paul Tripp says, God rescues me from my foolishness, not just by handing me a book, the Bible, but also by giving me himself to open up the wisdom of that book to me. 
Have you ever, when you've been struggling with something or have a question, maybe it's a financial question or whatever, or maybe it's a life question, and someone hands you a book and says, this will be really helpful. On the one hand, it's like, thank you. I'm glad that will be really helpful. On the other hand, it's like, oh boy, I need to read this and then see if I understand it and then see if I can actually put it into practice. We're talking a long process here. God doesn't just hand us a book. He gives us himself. And he says he goes everywhere his word goes. He patiently sits with readers every time they open his book. He teaches them out of his word. God is not only the author of his word, but he is also its primary teacher. And then this is the quote that's at the bottom of your sheet. When you get the word of God, you also get the God of the word. And that is a beautiful thing. I find that very encouraging. Um, And hopefully you will as well, especially as we shift into a little bit of application. But so I know this is that was pretty quick and and high level in some ways. Some of it's because it overlaps with what we were talking about, about the nature of doctrine um, last week. But some of it is bottom line. These are some great things to know about the scriptures. But um, I'd like to open it up for questions as you hear those things, questions or comments as you think about um, the beauty of the doctrine of scripture, and then also questions or comments knowing that we're going to go into applicational parts in the second half of it. So does anyone have any questions about what's been taught? And Caleb will lovingly and gently bring a microphone to you uh, so that we can all hear you and those at home can as well. Yeah, questions in particular about what I just covered. Um, Questions usually turn into comments anyway, so I might as well just say questions or comments because say whatever you want. Uh, Darcy has a question or comment. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to this idea. Like, this is so beautiful, like how Scripture is so important for the believer. But what happens when Scripture has been used against you or it's for particular reasons, I I, I mean, fill in the blank. It's just a difficult thing to approach it. Um, and because you've you've built out such a strong case for how important, what do we do in the absence of a time maybe? Or I think about a young mom who's like, to be honest, like, you know, it's hard. It's, it might be hard to sit down and read. So, so could you just speak a little bit to that, just because sure. it was such a strong case for how important it is? Yeah. Um, a few things there. So, like, one is I do think it's really good to understand that Scripture can be weaponized as a way to speak of it. Um, scripture can be used in such a way to, to harm people rather than to help them. And that's nothing against Scripture itself. That's unfortunately the messengers who use Scripture. And so that can be in preaching that's very law-heavy or manipulative. That can be on one-on-one conversations where it's being twisted to damn people in ways that it's not meant to do. It can be through faulty doctrine um, that's completely off. It can be through misemphases of things where we only hear the wonder of the gospel through a completely wrong voice of law and condemnation. So it can happen on a myriad of levels, so I think that's really good to understand. And then I think it's also helpful to understand that um, we need to be patient with people as they've been wrestling with that. Um, Some people reading God's word and coming back to it can be a very scary, difficult process. And so pastoral wisdom, loving wisdom as we approach that um, is helpful. So just knowing that's a category is a good thing. Second, related to that is a way to bring people along in that can be um, certain parts of scripture that have been used against a person. It's okay to stay away from those for a while. It's not saying we're going to rip them out of our Bibles. It's just saying like we may need to retrain ourselves to hear God's voice differently. So that's a thing. Another thing in thinking about that is what parts of scripture can you resonate with and do minister to your soul with where you are right now? And can those be what you are meditating upon during that time? Which it can be like, I'm crying out to you on my bed in tears. That's still scripture. And it's great to be clinging to that because that is God's word. It doesn't have to be. And let's make sure you're also quoting Romans 8.28 on the same day. 
Um, and so that can be a process, and there is always something about Scripture that we can latch on to, that we can patiently help people find. And um, so that's a whole process, but that addresses that a little bit. And then the second part of that that I think ties into it is part of the beauty of Scripture is it's different than like, like I just described. Oh, you have something you're struggling with? Well, until you consume this 500-page book and can fully interact with it and write an essay on it, um, then you, you've got nothing, right? And that's how like classes function, right? Pass, fail. Um, the beauty of God's Word is it is God's Word coming to us with the Holy Spirit that says, if you're grabbing any of it, it can be used by God to do far beyond what we could ever ask or think or imagine, right? That's the nature of it. And so um, realizing that just having time to have one verse that you're thinking about all week or marinating on something from the sermon or a verse that's on a card as you're doing dishes or on the diaper changing table, whatever, we can still approach that as this is God, God's word and he is here by his spirit using this now and I can look to that instead of I need to look to kind of this law-ish mentality of have I consumed enough words today that it will tip it into the productivity scale. Um, so I think that can be helpful in it too that we'll talk about a little bit, hopefully in the applicational part, we'll see how God's word works a little bit more that can help us come to it well, whether we have an hour or a minute or we're in line and think about it. Um, and so hopefully those things, does that get at some of those things? Yeah, Mike. You mentioned uh, truthfulness of scripture and yeah. inerrancy. Can you talk about maybe ways that has been wrongly understood or even how it's been um, like, uh, made into like a um, like a caricature by yeah. people who don't believe it, and how maybe hey, it, or, or if, even if there's a tendency or a, a way you could like hold too strong of a view of it that actually is not biblical. Right. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and again, there there's a lot to be explored there. I could just say where I often use where I most see it go wrong. I guess is the way I could say that is I think sometimes. If our view of these things is too simplistic, uh, namely that it gravitates towards the Bible's a book that drops out of the sky, God wrote it, There's, if we find any whiff of human agency in it, then something must be wrong. Like that's a faulty way of looking at scripture, right? But I think that's our default way of thinking a lot of times. And then what happens is as we are confronted with the humanness of scripture, it can be a very... Um, unsettling and alarming thing. Um, as you go into the academy or off to college or are talking to unbelievers who are like, well, what about this? And they start citing things that then you, you look at that and you say, wow, that that doesn't seem like an accurate number. <laughs> that seems a bit exaggerated or something like that. A lot of times what's happening is we've we've so downplayed the human part of it that it freaks us out and another thing related to that is we haven't let the Bible come to us on its own terms, which are still completely true, but aren't always up to the levels of reporting and standards of footnoting everything with a cited documented study for it, but speaking in the conventions of biblical narrative or biblical poetry or whatever. And so we can get bent out of shape by not letting Scripture come to us as it's meant to come to us, and then understanding there are these human components that have answers. They all have answers, but they can be complicated answers um, that don't often fit on bumper stickers. So that's a, that's a huge way that I see it go astray um, or, or that freaks us out in the maybe conservative camp as we enter into maybe a more broader conversation. Coming from the other way, um, just because the Bible has very strong elements of humanity to it and was written in a time, in a culture, in a place, um, doesn't mean that we can just say, well, that's just cultural or something like that. There has to be a deep respect for the whole process of coming to understand, no, this has come to us in an, a truthful and an errant way, but it's our job to parse out um, how exactly is that truth to be understood. And so... 
um, there can be a, a quick reaction to say, okay, just because it has human components to it, therefore I can just dismiss it as just another good book, and that's too quick of a shift too. So um, I don't know if that's helpful to you. Okay. You can say it's not, and then I'll just feel bad for the next five minutes. Is it a question or a comment? I'm just curious. <laughs> it's a comment. Okay. Which is why you wondered if we could have. You were you were talking about faith. Yeah. And our faith in the Word, and that God gives us that faith. Yeah. Um, Romans chapter eight says um, Romans eight fourteen, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that assurance in our hearts from God by the Spirit yeah. that we are his children. Sure. And that brings the truth. That helps us to know that the scripture is true. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Spirit is the one who helps us see and understand the truth of God's word, both savingly and also um, sanctifyingly. Kevin, and then we'll probably wrap up this part, I think. There's there's an aspect to the truth that I think is amazing as well, is that the, the Bible is both um, beyond our understanding in some ways, but also very approachable. Yeah. And so it's it's like when you go to school and you get an introductory text, but it's also like the graduate level that if you start with it, you don't understand what you're talking, what it's talking about at all. And um, so the illumination goes along with the truth in that. He said that he will guide us into all truth, but he also says that my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. Sure. And there will be some things that we won't understand, and there's a, there's a peace in that um, we will come into understanding as we grow with him, but to be patient. Right. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, both the simplicity and profundity of the Word of God is, is just... It's one of the things that excites me most. We talked last week about, you know, do we like spreadsheets or narrative? And some of us struggle with stories and like spreadsheets or, or whatever. Um, but one of the reasons that I didn't like stories when I was in high school was when I would come to literature classes, the teacher would just give their interpretation of what the author was trying to say, and then students could give that interpretation too. And I'm like, are we even talking about the same book? Like <laughs> The Great Gatsby, really? That was, And it just seemed so arbitrary to me where math and spreadsheets and stuff at least had like parameters. But then that's what's so beautiful to me about the scriptures is their divinely inspired narrative that comes with its own explanation of the author's intent of that story. And so you get all the beauty of story with all the wonder of the guardrails and the truth in it. And so what that does is it creates um, this the most simple of all of us, faith like a child, we can come to and understand the message of Scripture, and yet the profound richness of this document that's not only created by some of the best human minds, um, but also has divine authorship behind it. It is so deep that we will never plumb the depths of the riches there. So you'll never be bored um, of what Scripture has to offer. And yet we don't need to be overwhelmed by it every day. Um, and that's a beautiful thing to be able to hold together. So let's go on then to talk about Scripture in everyday life. So we've talked about what's important about Scripture, um, but really, if Scripture is this glorious, if it's this wonderful that we believe these things, it's come from God, it's true, it's our authority, then where does that leave us? Where it leaves us is, what should our response be toward it? And I'm, I was amazed rereading this, or reading this chapter, um, amazingly convicted, right? 
As one whose job is to set apart time to study this, to be able to talk about this, I was amazed how much I do not view this as amazing as it is. I said amazed a lot, but a bad amazing, a good amazing. Um, and I think that happens to us. Um, I think it might especially maybe the longer we're believers, or I I don't know what the reasons for it are. Um, But if this is really God's word, wow, that that affects us. And so Paul Tripp says this, this way, if I could listen in on and watch a month of your life, what would I conclude about the place of God's word in your life? Other than our salvation and his presence now living inside us as his children, Our Bible is God's most precious and valuable gift to us. The question is, in our everyday lives, do we act like this? And I can tell you, my answer is no. (laughs) And hopefully these things help reorient us back to that understanding. Maybe you're there, and it is the most precious, and that's great, and keep at it. Uh, And maybe you'll go through a season where it starts to take a back shelf or gather some dust. And these are things we can remind ourselves of, right? So it's good for all of us all the time. Um, But scripture should really influence every part of our lives. Um, But the question is, does it? And so I just want to point out a few things that he mentions about what God's word does that can help, that can motivate us to keep coming back to it, I guess. He has 11 reminders in his book, and um, I'm just picking out four. But he says God's word saves, points, teaches, rescues, warns, protects, encourages, motivates, confronts, convicts, guides. Um, we're just looking at four of those. If you want more, you have to buy the book. But, um, but you can see right there all these things that we would come to God's word for. But let's talk about how God's word saves. It can be easy for us to forget the longer that we're a Christian that the way we came to faith in Christ was ultimately related to God's word, wasn't it? And that's what what Scripture teaches us. Um, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, which comes right before the verses about it being God-breathed, it tells about how Timothy from childhood has been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians 1, 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The word of God is essential to us coming to initial saving, justifying faith. But the word of God is what also brings us ongoing sanctifying faith, which remember in 1 Peter 1 when we were talking about it, we are now already receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Salvation includes not just justification of sins being forgiven and coming to faith in Christ, but it also includes the benefit of sanctification being conformed into the image of Christ, and that's happening by the word. And so just remembering God's word is what has saved me and is saving me in the sanctifying, preparing me for glory, conforming me to Christ way. Tripp says this, God used his word to save you. He's now using his word to continue to rescue you and grow you. And he will continue to save you through his word until that work is complete and you are on the other side. Um, And so I think that can help us be motivated to seek, continue to seek God's word. Secondly, though, we see God's word points. Um, Points. What do you think it points to? (laughs) Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And now verse 15, And he died for all for the purpose that, in order that, those who live might no longer live for themselves. Um but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And that really highlights an interesting thing about the nature of our lives apart from Christ, right? Paul is saying that they, their, our lives were oriented by living for ourselves, living for ourselves, having self at the focus. John Piper speaks of it as like, we are this planet, at the, we are the sun of our own solar system, right? And what's supposed to happen is, 
God is at the center and we orbit around that. And I think that can be a helpful way of thinking about it. But part of our condition because of the fall is that we live for ourselves. Tripp says that the DNA of sin is selfishness. That's interesting to ponder, right? The sins that you struggle with and see how selfishness is somehow related to that. Um, But God's word confronts us and tells us another story. All throughout, it's telling us something different. It's a grand story about what God is doing through Christ for his glory and for our salvation. And the Bible reminds us that coming to Christ in repentance and faith is not just about forsaking your sins and receiving his forgiveness, which is part of what it is about, but it's also about forsaking your glory for his glory. And as we live for his glory, we find that we are um, living more fully and more satisfied as image bearers. Um, Yeah, I just want to read this quote. Here's what each of us needs to understand. As long as sin lives inside of us, there will be a glory war in our hearts. So every day we need to see again that the life we have been welcomed to has God at the center, not us. Every day we need a message that points us to God. Every day we need to be reminded that life is not about our comfort or the success of our plans. It's not about how many people look up to us and want us to be in their lives. It's not about the size of our houses or the quality of our cuisine. It's not about whether we're fit and free of disease. Life is about God, his glory, and the success of his purposes in and through us. The Bible points us to this from cover to cover. And there is nothing more freeing, satisfying, and healing than living for the glory of God. Um, and, and so God's word is pointing us to that every day. And so that's part of why we want to come to it again and again. God's word also teaches us. And again, we've talked a little bit about kind of teacher model type thing, but when I say the word teaching or being taught, the first thing that comes to my mind is sitting in a classroom, taking a bunch of notes, knowing I'm going to be tested on, can I reproduce what has been said to me? That's a way that teaching happens. But if I really stop to think about what has most taught me in life, I actually go to a bunch of different experiences, right? I think about hours in a garage with tools, taking things apart and putting them back together and being told how not to ruin everything um, and shown how to actually put it back together, right, Dad? And uh, to put your tools away, which I still never learned, so I had to buy my own. Um, So you think of like hours being shaped by that. You think of conversations with wise people. You think of years of putting things into practice. That's all teaching and learning and growing. Um, God's word has been given to us to teach us. And it's not just to fill our minds with a bunch of stuff and see, can we regurgitate that in a blue book at the end of the semester? And what's important to understand, though, is what is the aim of the teaching of God's word? What is the aim of it? It's a different aim than taking a class. It's, a, the, its aim is Christ-like wisdom. Its aim is wisdom, wisdom and life with God, um, shaping us into people who are wise about God and his ways. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 100 talks about this. Um, but something that I, I, just to highlight this quote that's there, because I think this just gets at it. It doesn't just impart knowledge to you, but it also forms wisdom in you. It reveals to you the deepest, most profound spiritual mysteries that could ever be considered. Like a good teacher, God's word undoes you and then rebuilds you again. It deconstructs the thoughts and motives of your heart and then reconstructs them. That's a beautiful way of thinking about what God's word is. And so if you struggle like I do of coming to the Bible as a a book of facts to memorize, um, realizing that it is here to teach you wisdom of life with God, it can kind of reorient that and, and make it a little less of perhaps an academic pursuit. Not that that part needs to be excluded. It has its place. Um, But Paul Tripp asks, 
Is the Bible your most esteemed, sought-after, and influential teacher? That's interesting to think about, right? How much of our time is going to all these teachers on YouTube or on social media or audiobooks or podcasts who are giving us, giving us, giving us information, 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 teaching, teaching, teaching. All that stuff, not all of it's helpful, but a, a lot of that stuff can be helpful and good. We have a robust view of general revelation, can be teaching us all kinds of things. But at the top of that list should be this book. And so often for myself, it's one of the last things to be um, turned to for teaching, other than this compartment of our lives that's religion, you know. Finally, God's word guides. God's word guides. Um, When was the last time you used a flashlight? It's kind of interesting, right? Because we're using them less and less because this supercomputer has a flashlight built into it. It's like a Swiss army knife. Um, It's all kinds of cool stuff in it. When's the last time you used a flashlight or got out your phone to illumine something? Probably when you faced darkness, (laughs) when you needed to see something. Um, It's to navigate darkness. Paul Tripp says that we are often unaware how much darkness we are navigating every day. We actually live in relative darkness, don't we? Um, Externally, and we can think of all that that's going on around, but also internally. If you think about how many thoughts you think a day, which there's all kinds of different studies of how many that is, but it's in the thousands, right? Um, How many of those thoughts are light thoughts from God that are true and right? And how many of those are somehow tainted by internal darkness? I've read things that say that for believers even, up to 90% of our thoughts are still very much shaped by darkness. And if you stop and think about it, that's really interesting, right? Um, it may be different. I used to think, oh, maybe 10% of those, you know, those, those bad things that were like, oh, push that out. But you think of like how much it's just shaped by fallenness and has darkness attached to it. I think the percentage might be higher than we actually realize. Um, and that's part of the Christian experience. But all of that is to say we are constantly navigating darkness internally and externally, and we need a flashlight. <laughs> we need light, and we have been given light. And that's what the Bible says, Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. Just as when we encounter things that are too dim to see, which as we get older, we're going to those lights even more, right? Um, As we encounter those things, um, that's what our impulse should be towards Scripture. Now, one thing that I think is helpful is, as you hear God's word guides, again, we have all these, I think, presuppositions. Teaching means this. Guide means this. I think what we often think for guide is, I have a big question coming. I want to know the answer. How can this thing tell me if this job is the right one? Like, where is that first? Um, you know, or what exact words should I say to my kid at this exact moment? Or, you know, all these things guide me. And it's more this like magic eight ball type thing that we're looking for. The guide metaphor that scripture uses is that of a lamp to our feet. And what's so helpful to understand too is when you used lamps in ancient times, you didn't hold them up here, you held it down here. And you did so because it's pitch black outside, right? And you needed to be able to see to make sure you stayed upon the path and didn't trip on something or run into a tree. (laughs) And so if you hold it here, it shows you where the next step is. That's, that's really the imagery that's going on there is helping us see the next step that's not tripping on a root, falling into a ditch, or running into a tree. It's not the start to finish every step along the way, but what it does is it does guide us in wisdom of following God one step at a time and showing us the darkness and the dangers that are around. It keeps us on the guardrails of that path while there may be lots of unknowns about the exact nature of the trail that we're on. 
Spurgeon says that the Bible was given not to astound us with its brilliance, but to guide us by its instruction. Um, So, last thing. I think this is really landing the plane practically. So I'd love to open it up for questions or comments, but I think this will be worth it for all of us because as I'm standing here and as you're sitting there, I think something probably on our minds is how do we do better at this? (laughs) Where do we go from here? Uh, What does this look like? And I appreciate this threefold approach to God's word that I think regardless of if you have hours or minutes or whatever, it can shape how we come to God's word and then we can craft that for our own particular life situation. (coughs) But how do we approach God's word? First, with a deep and abiding sense of need. A deep and abiding sense of need. And so this means every time we open the Bible or open our phones to a passage or to a digital Bible, we pray that God would grant us open eyes and a tender, humble, open and ready heart that says, I need this. And I think one thing that's helpful to just distinguish is the difference between I need to do this and I need this. It's not a lot of differences word-wise. Someone who's better at math could figure that out. Um, But the I need to do this is what I so often feel. I need to make sure I'm keeping up with the Bible reading plan, read a chapter today, whatever that might be. But if that subtle shift to I need this because I need God, I need to be taught, I need to be pointed to him, I live in darkness and need light, I need this for my well-being, that feels a lot different than I need to do this to check something off. And so um, we can pray that God helps us cultivate this sense of need. And then with heartfelt joy, with heartfelt joy, um, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is, I don't always feel joy reading the Bible. And I think many of us might feel that way. But what this calls us to do is say, wait a minute, joy and delight in coming to God's word is part of what I'm shooting for. And what bring, what is the pathway to joy? Pathway to joy is gratitude. And so approaching God's word with not only an awareness of our need, but also gratitude that he loves us enough that he's given us his word, that has the very words of life that we can come to. And as we seek to thank him for that, it it corresponds with increasing our joy that we're able to go to it and be shaped by it. Regardless of what life may be bringing our way or how, how, much, how many warm and fuzzy things we may have gotten from that particular reading, but it's cultivating gratitude and joy. And then finally, with commitment, we come to God's word committing to study it and make it a part of us, right? That takes ongoing commitment, um, committing to fight our own resistance to it. Our default posture will be, nope, that, that's about my neighbor, not about me. <laughs> and so part of it's committing to say, nope, I, I want to humbly open myself up to this. And part of that commitment is to say, and I'm going to seek to apply this in my life um, with the neighbors I encounter and with the attitudes I face and um, committing that we would seek to be changed by it. So, Whatever your scriptural study habits may be, or if they're lacking and you want to be restarting them, I think the approach is almost as important as the the what, or maybe more important than the what. Um, And uh, so hopefully those things are helpful to you just as we've kind of considered the wonder of having God's word. All right? I have used all the time And so I will pray, and then we will get to sit under God's word and sing parts of God's word to each other and pray in accordance with it in the worship service as well. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come both grateful for how you've revealed yourself to us in your word, and we also come humbly 
uh, acknowledging how far we are from where we would like to be in our understanding of it, in our application of it, in our love for you that comes from it. And so we pray that you would encourage us with the wonderful gift of your spirit, how he is with us to convict us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to empower us, that even as we go from here, that we would commit again to coming to your truth and being shaped by it. I pray that we could encourage each other in this, not beat each other up. And most of all, I pray that you would cultivate in us joy over hearing your voice. We realize that so often we haven't heard it rightly. So often we listen to other voices much more. And we pray that you would help us to long to hear you and be transformed by your word. We pray that you would do that in our worship service as we go to that in a few moments. And we pray that we would build one another up as we have opportunity to fellowship in between. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Next week we start the doctrine of God and we'll spend more weeks on that one.